This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with author, speaker, and podcast host, Bonnie Gray. We discuss her most recent and most personal book, Sweet Like Jasmine. Bonnie grew up in San Francisco's Chinatown, where she spent her childhood hiding Chinese Bonnie, who lived in a dysfunctional family in poverty, so that she could be accepted as cheerful American Bonnie, who excelled on the school speech and drama team. Living two separate lives led to overwhelming loneliness and depression. Bonnie shares portions of her story with us today and encourages women to care for their souls and to walk with Jesus daily. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I encourage you to follow the show so you can hear upcoming episodes with guests like John Eldridge, Mary Morantz, and Costi Hen. If you are a longtime listener, will you leave a five-star rating and review of the show wherever you are listening? Tell me what you enjoy about the show and what you would like to hear more of. As we drop into my conversation with Bonnie, I want to thank each of you who listen week in and week out. Your faithful listening keeps me creating episodes. Good morning, Bonnie, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. So happy to be here to have this virtual cup of coffee with you. That's right. I'm so excited to have you. It's morning there, right? It's 9, 9.15? Yes, it is. Yeah. See, I'm lunchtime, so I'll have my seltzer and you can have your, your coffee, right? <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, as we get going this morning, the way that I love to start my show is to have my guests introduce themselves and their family, but also tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Well, you know, by day, I'm a writer. I'm a soul care guide and expert. I help women to de-stress, help point them towards filling their lives up with peace and joy, because we as women often put ourselves last place. We want to make sure everybody's taken care of, but then we kind of get the leftovers, but that's really not God's loving voice to us. And because I've experienced panic attacks and anxiety in my own life, it's something I'm really passionate about is giving all of us permission from God's word, as well as tips from science. So I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast called breathe the stressless podcast. And then I'm also a writer and author. My new book is Sweet Like Jasmine, Finding Identity in a Culture of Loneliness. And one aspect of soul care is sharing our stories. This is very hard for us to do because in our culture, we really want to share the mountaintop stories, Mm -hmm. but actually God is closest to us. And we are closest to each other when we're in the valley and allowing each other to walk alongside those bumpy roads. Mm -hmm. And so then there's the other aspect of my life, which is once it's three o'clock, I pick up my kids, I turn into a pumpkin and um, (laughs) I become a mom and I'm there for my two boys, Josh and Caleb. 
they are 12 and 15. And I actually love the teenage stage. I love it because during that formative time in my life, Mm. when I was very lonely, the people that entered into my life by God's grace, they brought sunshine, even though my home life was broken, was very toxic, was scary, sad, but those sparks of sunshine that people, yeah. So that's what I view my role as, as a mom to teenage boys. I want to be able to be those sparks of sunshine in their lives. I want to be kind of home base. I always tell them mom is home base for you. Okay. Headquarters, anything that happens to you out there, I go, you can always come home and I'm going to make it okay. Not because I can fix your problems, but know that I'm here for you mm-hmm. and you can rest and relax. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I would say those are kind of the three aspects of who I am. I love that so much. Well, and that's the thing, your newest book, like you said, sweet, like Jasmine really is a lot about your life story and just identity and so many of the things that you walk through in life. And so you're Chinese American, you grew up in San Francisco's Chinatown, second largest in America. And so take us back a little bit to your childhood, you know, give us an overview. What was it like for Bonnie growing up in Chinatown? Well, this is the Interesting thing is that even though I told you all these things that I do, it seems like, gosh, you know, Bonnie, you're kind of like the, you know, living a ideal life as a Christian woman of faith. But God is telling me and why I write this book is that your true identity really is your story that encapsulates everything. And I was born to a mail order bride from Hong Kong. My mother is a mail order bride from Hong Kong. My dad is a busboy in a noodle shop. And she was a teenage male order bride. So in her own family, she was, she had eight siblings and she was chosen because she wasn't the oldest and she wasn't a son. So she did not have value. Mm. So because her family was born below the poverty line in Hong Kong, they escaped from China to run away from communist China in 1950. Um, they wanted a better life. And so she was chosen to marry a stranger 10 years older who was my father who worked in a noodle shop. So I was born into this story, which is very unloving, which was, you know, I grew up below the poverty line. So Mm -hmm. everything about my life was very strange and hard. So when I went to school, I was American Bonnie, meaning I'm trying to figure out what do people talk about? Okay. What do they have for what's this Thanksgiving thing, Christmas exchange gifts. My dad left when I was seven, Amber. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't even have a father. So even when I went to church, I felt like I couldn't fit into the other happy, beautiful families. And even if somebody was from a divorced family, they would see their dad. Yeah. But But you didn't see your father at all. That's right. Exactly. So it's kind of like I had this inner private world at home. My home life was very private to me. And then when I stepped out the door, even as I grew up older, Amber, it, get, it got harder to talk about what was happening at home. You think it might be easier. Like once I you know, put myself through college, it seemed like the typical overcoming, achieving immigrant story, but it actually got harder because I was like, oh, now I'm with all the normal college people. And nobody was talking about, oh, you know, oh yeah, you know what? My mom, she'll leave me messages, you know, with insulting words, or if yeah. I do something that she doesn't like. She's going to start yelling at me. Um, you know, like, wh- where do you talk about stuff like that? And so I just found there was no opportunity for me to talk about those things. 
Well, and I think that's something that really stood out to me as I read the book was just how completely different your worlds were. And I think it's hard for anyone to imagine how it could be such a solid line of, I go into school and I'm fully American and at home, I mean, fully Chinese, no one in your family spoke English. You ate all Chinese food. It was all culturally, the whole family lived there. I mean, all the things that maybe traditional Americans do not understand. And so when you think about identity in those early years, like, how do you, how did you start wrestling through that? Like, I don't even know who I am. I'm two totally different people. Yeah. I think that's where it's lonely. And Mm. a lot of people that aren't Chinese American, I found as I share my story and readers are starting to read this book, they're like, I relate to that. They're not Asian, but they said, I relate to how, like, I have a different world in my home. And then I have a different world when I step out the door. And especially as Christians, we're afraid like to talk about, say, our marital problems. And even some people confide in me as I'm a speaker. You know what? My kids don't talk to me. My kids have Mm -hmm. left me. And it's very lonely. It's lonely not just because of the problem happening, but it's painful because we can't talk about it. Yeah. That that loneliness is very painful. So for me, um, you know, because my mom didn't speak English and she didn't go to school, she stopped going to school when she was 13. I just felt like half of me was Chinese. Half of me was American. I'm split. Mm -hmm. There was no one place where I could be whole Bonnie, where I could talk about all the things that were happening at school or all the things that were happening at home. There, there wasn't that place for me. So, um, And then, like you said, you know, speaking Chinese only, my mother uh, later went to cosmetology school. We had a um, social worker that said, hey, there's some government programs to improve our life. You can learn to cut hair. And so I had to sit next to my mother translating the textbook. We sat there and my mother, I had the dictionary and I would point out to her, here's the word you need to, you know, learn for the vocabulary so you can pass the state board exam. That's, that was what life was like for me. I had to translate Mm -hmm. a whole textbook with her, you know, also being a single parent mom, you know, Mm -hmm. like we'd have school concerts, you know, everybody was there taking pictures of their kids, standing up and clapping, you know, and I'd be smiling because, you know, I'm like in orchestra, but, you know, once that performance was done, I would wait because I would not anybody to know there was nobody to pick me up. I would just wait till everybody's gone. Then I would pack my violin and walk out put quarters into the payphone, and I'd wait for my mom to come pick me up, mm. you know, cause my mom would say, you know, what's the point of sitting there for an hour? You're just going to play like what, two, three songs. She's like, I'm not going to sit there. So mm. this is very hard for me to tell because in our culture, especially our Christian culture, it's almost more, not almost, it's acceptable to say, you know what? My dad is not really present or my dad is really hard on me or my dad is very like verbally abusive, but it's so taboo to say, your my mom. mother, mm-hmm. my mother is not loving. Yep. We're afraid people say, well, do you forgive your mom? It's like immediately that's kind of the response people get, give us is, well, do you forgive your mom? Mm-hmm. Well, what's your mom's story? Um, you need to, you know, and it's like, we don't want to be judged. Right. So we just don't say anything. Well, and there's so many layers to that. And it's interesting because as Christians, we can be so, so quick to say, Oh, because of, oh, well, what did you do? 
or, you know, there's always this like trying to describe how this is somehow maybe not your fault, quote unquote, but to explain away the pain, explain away the dysfunction. And I'm like, we don't always have to do that. You know, it's almost like Amber, you should say that again, because I think our listeners who are breathing this sigh of relief, that burden that we're carrying, Mm -hmm. not only do we have to sustain the grief, sustain those moments of trying to figure out what should I say, whether it's our, our ex, our spouse, our girlfriend, that's just like whatever toxic relationship church. And we're just trying to sustain how do I deal with this? And at the same time, it's this sense of shame. Like, Hey, I don't want anybody to, you know, feel like I'm not doing it right. I'm That's already right. trying to figure out what to do. That's right. And so one very powerful thing I talk about in the book is this moment where I realized, you know what, I need to be more honest with myself than I'm comfortable with. Mm. And I need to face the reality of the mother that I do have yeah. rather than the mother that I long to bring into being mm-hmm. and forgiveness takes one. That's That's on me. I need to forgive my mother, meaning I'm not going to treat her the way she treats me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm going to let go of hoping that she becomes or gives me the words that I really need to be loved or feel cherished. That's really forgiveness. It's saying I'm letting this person go from the debt that was created in my heart, that loneliness or those wounds. And I'm going to move on with my life and look for those affirmation in other relationships that God provides for us mm-hmm. through our friends, our spiritual family and reconciliation takes two. So this is one of the top questions I always get asked is what's your relationship with your mom now? You know, God, yep. you wrote about all this hurtful things. What's your relationship? And I say, reconciliation takes two forgiveness takes one, but reconciliation takes two. And so for those of us who, ha- who have people that have hurt us, we need to be given permission to remind ourselves that God wants us to have healthy boundaries. If someone is hurting us, whether it's, you know, it's not just physical, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. God does. We're ultimately God's daughters and we do not, God does not want us to be treated with verbal abuse or emotional abuse. We need to create those healthy boundaries to protect ourselves as well as our children you know, for those of us who have families that we're trying to build a new legacy, we're trying to build a new family code. So we need to have those healthy boundaries. So reconciliation is a journey and a process. It's not a light switch because we can't control what the air person, if they're going to change their behavior, if they're going to, you know, also want to provide you the loving, you know, care that you want, you've given them. So it's, it's not simple and it's messy, but Mm -hmm. that's, that's the beauty is that we can share with each other what's going on we can help each other actually the more things are difficult the more we need to share because this thing is not going away anytime soon well and that was something too I mean one of the chapters that was so poignant to me was when you shared about your mom and the moment when you were really beginning to fall in love for the first time and just her reaction because your whole life you had been expected that you would take care of her um I mean like live with you, even if you got married. And, and I know from experience that you believe the things that people speak over you and 
it's very hard to get to a point where you can actually see that you've been, you've been manipulated for decades. You know, that it's what is being spoken over you is not true. It takes people and you had some spiritual mother, father type figures in your life to say, this is not healthy. You're not abandoning your mother by choosing to marry a man and move forward. And so when you think about that and that process, would you even say that now in your life that it still is a daily choice to say, okay, I have to forgive her again, even if you're not in relationship with her? Well, yeah, you know, like that, I think it's continue. I, I think another way to think of forgiveness is grief. Mm-hmm. It is. Okay. So every time there's like a pain, like say it's my birthday and we are all little girls in God's eyes. You know, that's a very painful time for me because, me too. you know, oh, wow. Really? Oh yeah. I'm going to share a little bit about that. Well, I mean, it's just because I don't get the phone call every year and my mother's alive. So yes. you, re- you relive that every year, right? Like, oh my goodness. You just expect that, right? Like that's the people in your life that are supposed to care about you the most and you don't get the phone call. It's hard. Yes. And it's another time to choose forgiveness over bitterness. And that takes a lot of time for me. This is me personally, time, courage. And it took me years before I could ever even do it. If that makes sense. I don't know about your experience. Yeah, no, I'm nodding for those that are listening. I'm nodding. Cause it's like, is this so freeing? You know, your podcast grace is enough. This is so freeing. We need to give ourselves grace. That's really hard that birthday. Cause you know, usually when people share birthdays, like, Oh, my mom, they're like, oh, I did this girl's thing with my mom. And it's all part of like this girl's identity. So this is one aspect that I don't think I ever had. I don't have that girl's identity typical, you know, I just grew up fast. It's like, I had to take care of my younger sister. Um, there's no room for me to figure out how I'm feeling or how I'm doing. Um, the day my father left, there was a really confusing time for me. I was just rubbing the sleep out of my eyes and, you know, they're yelling like usual, except this time my father has these suitcases at the screen door. So I'm just like, what is going on? But the last image I have of my father driving off when I was seven was the tire screeching. He's in his Nova, you know, with the mm-hmm. rooftop, with the peeling rooftop, just squealing out. And I'm like, mama, ama, that's for Chinese say ama, uh-huh. ama, where is Baba going? She's get over here. She starts pulling out the photo albums, family photo albums, taking the photos, yanking them out of the vinyl pockets. She's cutting them up, Amber, right into his face. And she's like, here, she puts a pair of scissors in my hand. She says, start cutting up its photos. I don't want any photos of this man in my home. Mm. And as I'm there, I'm like trying to hide one photo of my father because they're, they're gone. They're, they're going, you know, like these cut up photos all over the living room floor. And she's like, what are you doing? She caught me. And she said, I said, I'm not in this photo. You're not in this photo. Can we just keep one? She's like, why do you want to keep one? Oh, you like him so much? Get over here. She pulls me by the neck collar, drags me over to the phone. This is back in the day when the phone used to be on the wall, right? Yeah. With the cord. Yeah. And she says, go pack your bags. <sighs> you, you like him so much, you go live with him. And right then and there, I stopped crying, Amber. And I said to myself, that's right. He's already gone. I don't need to know 
no, ma, I'm on, no, I'm not going to ask anymore. Please, please, no, I won't. She's like, go to your room. And it's a metaphor. All of us have been given that moment where we decided, you know what, how I feel doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I can't change it anyways. And we just soldier on and we become strong. And earlier in my life, God knew there's no shame in it. We need that kind of strength to get through those hard times. Okay. But it's beautiful. Your podcasting grace is enough because God's saying, I didn't mean for you to live like this blocked away from your emotions right. your whole life. So now there's grace, meaning I want to go there with you. I want you all to be parts vulnerable. Of yes. And so it's new for me, Amber, to, to think like, okay, this childhood I never had, or, you know, kind of the typical girl experience with my mom, you're talking about that birthday. It's hard. It's like, what can I do? So one of the things I have to do is I need to reach out to my girlfriends. We have to do something, but this is hard for me because I'm not the person to reach out to others when I have something like I'm the first one there. I'm the kind of person that drives to Trader Joe's or Safeway, pick up a bouquet of flowers. Mm. I'll drop them off at my friend's doorstep. If I know she's going through a hard time, it brings me a lot of joy. But it's hard for me when I'm in need, for instance, like my birthday, it's kind of weird. Like, how do you, it seems almost cringy to me. Like, do I call my friend? Like, Hey, it's my birthday, you know, come celebrate with me. That is so hard, but that's kind of the new identity. God's want, wants, like, I love you said courage. It takes courage to say, it does. this birthday is worse commemorating the, you know, this year who I am. I have friends. And I, I, they, they'll love me <laughs> and yeah. it's okay. If they're busy. We could always schedule another day, but I, I need to step out. That is a really hard thing for me to do the identity. Like, am I really worthy? If I don't, if I don't do something for someone, if what I'm asking them for is only to like, you know, something that would be bring me joy or peace. Am I really worthy of it? That is really, really hard. It is hard. And it does take. Um, a real effort and thought process to get to the place where you, cause there is a choice in the sense of you choose, I'm going to just sit and be sad about this. And eventually bitterness does take root if you're not actively uh, fighting against that. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. The proactive part of it for me is okay. What would I like to do on my birthday? That is, that makes me feel, feel like I'm celebrated. And that may be going to dinner with friends. It may be just being at home with my husband, but you do have to sometimes take those steps and be okay with it. Because if you have these expectations of someone else and they keep not meeting them, eventually you're either going to become bitter or you're going to choose a different route. Yeah. And for me, it was more like, it's more loneliness. It's more like Mm -hmm. this message reaffirming of, yeah, you know what? I, I'm not worthy. I, in this world, the main way to be is to take care of others, make others happy. Um, you know, put my eyes towards what should I say, edit myself for me that, that, that reflects that way. So Mm. I I love how you, um, talked about this moment where I realized that this way of working isn't going to work anymore because Mm. this, this way that I'm talking about Amber works really well for me, you know, going to school, pleasing my teachers, you know, getting through college. It worked for me when I was a working woman in um, high tech. It worked for me well because um, I need to be able to, you know, figure out what do people want. Yeah. Um, and even in ministry, 
Okay. But it didn't work well for me in my personal life. And so here's the moment that you talked about. Is it okay if I read through an excerpt? Absolutely. This is the moment where suddenly all those things that we thought we can carry and we're going to be okay, we can handle it, suddenly it's not okay anymore. And Mm -hmm. each of us, we're going to face those moments and whatever we're facing alone, trying to figure it out on our own, eventually you may have this moment like I did. Okay. So my husband, I met him in my thirties. I didn't fall in love in my twenties. And, um, uh, the secret is that every holiday, my family culture is that family is most important. So every holiday I cannot spend it with anybody else. Otherwise my mom says that I'm putting friends above family. So one time uh, it was July 4th. And so my husband at the time, I started a 30 singles ministry because I thought, Hey, I'm going to be single. Um, maybe something's broken in my life because I can't fall in love. I don't know why, but maybe I have the call of singleness. All right. So I said, I'll start a ministry. And, um, Eric was one of those guys in this, uh, fellowship group. And he said, um, Hey, some of us are going to be going down to ride the roller coasters in Southern California. Let's go together. And I said, Oh yeah, maybe I probably won't make it. Most guys would just leave it at that. But Eric was different. Eric said, why? It's July 4th. You're not working. Why don't, why don't you go? And so suddenly I I had to make a choice. Yes. Should I lie to Eric or maybe I want to go. So here's the scene. This is the night before I was preparing to go. And Ama is not, is livid. She is not happy. I'm going to leave her at home for July 4th. Ama, this is a simple, fun weekend to go ride the roller coasters. I haven't dated anyone since college. I'm 31 years old. Maybe you're right. It won't last, but I like Eric. I won't know if I don't try. I've taken care of you my whole life. Why can't you be happy for me? I started crying because I was more scared than anything. Scared that I said it so bluntly. Scared because I had never spoken to my mom like this. How stupid can you be, Amos scoffed. A man comes along, pays you a little attention, and you think that makes you special? You've forgotten who you are. You're Bonnie Lee. You're my daughter. She screamed it at the top of her lungs, her eyes wild with rage, wailing with all her might like she was blowing the air out of her lungs, her face turning purple, her hands balled up in a fist. If I thought I was scared before, I was beyond terrified now. I felt as if I was teleported into a horror movie. I thought she would storm out and I would hear her grab her car keys and slam the front door. She often did when I was a little girl, leaving me home all alone. Instead, I'm on tour out thundering into the kitchen and I heard drawers opening and slamming shut. The next thing I knew, she flew back in the room with a glint of steel, brandishing a large pair of scissors in her hand. She shoved my sliding closet doors open, violently yanking the clothes off the hangers. She started shaking and she pulled apart my clothes, running the blade of the shears against my clothes with one hand and tugging them like she was strangling the life out of them. Everything you have, everything you are is because of me. If it weren't for me, there would be no you, Ama screamed. She clawed at my desk, clutching whatever she could get her hands on, ejecting my books, notebooks, knickknacks, swiping, throwing them all over my room in a confetti of fury. I stood there choking my tears, afraid to move or breathe. Confusion engulfed me. How can something so simple become so very wrong? And a thought hit me like a siren. Something is really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's hard for me to even 
move really into that. Um, because when it's not someone's lived reality, it's really, really hard to imagine. But it was at that moment that you decided, I'm going. I'm going. Yes. Yes. I was, I ran into the bathroom. I did that a lot. And like you said, I mean, I never told anybody this. I'm a Bible teacher at church. Okay. I'm working in Silicon Valley. Like I'm a grown up woman, you know, I was running to the bathroom, Amber. My mom was just pounding at the door. Like a kid. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I sat there looking in the mirror and I was like, cause you know, I was afraid she was going to kill me honestly, because I was like, this is the first time I ever went defied my mom, Amber. Right. So I was like, oh my gosh, she's cutting my clothes. Oh my gosh. She had that pair of scissors. She's raging. I was like, what if this is like one of those six o'clock news stories? Like what if she decides to end it right then and there, you know, when you're scared, you're not thinking logically, you're not thinking she's just upset. Okay. She's not, you know, like this is, oh yeah. For those listeners who have been in traumatic, emotionally abusive relationship, you guys get me. Okay. But in that moment, I was like, Okay. But I was looking at the mirror crying. I said, what do I do? It hit me. That was a moment. It hit me. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. I am God's beloved daughter. Here I am saying God is loves us. God has got a peace. I'm a missionary in my twenties. I'm like, this is not the way I should be treated. And so I decided then and there, I have to leave. Now I could not do it on my own. That's when I broke the chain. I called my pastor and by the way, I was still very scared. I was thinking she's going to be like, Bonnie, you, you know, she's going to give me the name of some therapist and tell me no more teaching Bible for you. <laughs> you know, like right. no more leading any groups. Like you have issues, girl. No, she didn't. She's like, oh my oh. gosh, your mom is like, she has problems. Oh my gosh. I never even knew somebody would think that way. Meaning I was safe. Mm-hmm. She wasn't telling me to go see a therapist. She was like, oh my gosh, you need to go. It's not because of Eric. Like she doesn't own you. God is your heavenly father. Suddenly there's all this truth being spoken into my life, Amber. So opposite of what I thought people would say to me. And suddenly my whole life took a change, took a change. And so what this book is about sweet, like Jasmine is it led me to actually ask the questions I never asked for myself. Where is my father? Is he dead or alive? Suddenly I realized if I could be honest and my mom, wasn't controlling me anymore. What would I want to do? What would I want to know? And a whole new life opened for me. And so what I discovered and the family secrets, this is what this book is about because it's not just about Bonnie, but these are moments each of us has to face in finding what is our true identity as a woman. Um, What does it mean to say no rather than yes? What does it mean to not be a people pleaser? But what if we were to dare to ask ourselves, what would give, give me joy or peace? I mean, there's so many different issues that I talk about. That was a turning point. Well, and that's the thing too. When we think about identity, I want to know a little bit about really how Jesus was a part of your story, because we fundamentally as Christians know, oh, I mean, Jesus is our identity, but we have very, very much use that as a quote mantra, then we really live that out day to day. And so I ask, you know, because you knew Jesus during this time and you still had to fight for the truth of your identity and you still had to let people actually speak the truth 
into your life. And so when did you come to know Christ? Like, what was your walk like with him through this process? So first of all, um, I'm very close with Jesus because the moment I met him, my mother was, um, like I said, a mail order ride from Hong Kong and she only spoke Chinese and she quit school when she was 13 because her family like wanted her to stay home to take care of the siblings and not go to school. She wasn't valued. So for me, the reason why we're at church is for cultural reasons, because there aren't mm. that many people that speak Chinese. So we went to church for cultural reasons. Like that's where people go to like meet other people that speak Chinese. You understand? Okay. But even one, in the U S yes. Okay. Yes. Even in the U S that's why it was so insulated. Like this whole world of being Chinese, as far as, you know, I, my experience, I was Chinese. I was in Hong Kong, meaning that's the culture I was at home. That's the culture I went to church, you know? Yeah. But, um, it was during this one night, there was an evangelistic meeting. There's this, usually when they talked, um, the preacher, there were no kids programs. So us kids sat in the back of the church. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually kind of boring for me because there's a lot of Christianese being spoken at the pulpit. So, but then suddenly there was a guest speaker and he was a young guy and he was just speaking like an everyday conversational, you know, talk. And he said there once upon a time, there was this prince and he wanted to be close to the people. But every time he went into the city, everybody was just bound down to him and just, just felt so awed by him that they couldn't really share their lives and talk with him. So this prince went incognito. And so he decided to just dress up like an everyday person and he befriended all these people and ate with them and lived among them and helped them. And I was like, oh, I'm digging this story. This is like a fairy tale. I know where this is going because I, I was an early reader and um, the, there was a plot twist. He said that he was accused of a crime. I was like, okay, now he's going to tell everybody I'm the prince and everything's going to be fine. No, he actually died. Mm-hmm. And nobody came to his rescue. Nobody spoke up for him. And I was like, I was mad. I'm like, what kind of story is this? I don't like this story. It turns out, as we know, that Prince is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the part where I felt Jesus was real was when it was described. He was in the garden crying. Mm-hmm. He was alone. He was disconnected from his father. And even mm-hmm. his father couldn't help him. And right then and there, the Jesus I met was lonely. It was his loneliness that I, I really felt if there was a God, then this one must be it because this is the person who needs to help me because I've cried myself to sleep so many nights. What I just kind of questioned into the air, like, why, why, why me? Why does this, why do I have to be in this family? Why does nobody love me? Why is my father not here? And so I just felt when Jesus said, is there any other way? And he was crying. The scriptures say that he, he, he fell on his face on the ground. To me, I was like, he is here with me. He understands me. And this is a supernatural moment. So God helped me as a little girl to overcome these hard things because I just found him. When I read the Bible, Amber, it wasn't, you know, like a theological thing for me. It was like, I, I need you, God. I need to hear from you. You know, who are you? What are you saying to me? So even now, I, every time I read the scripture, I'm always asking God, what are you saying to me? I need to hear from you and the Holy spirit. He speaks to me, but why was I blinded to, you know, this identity of all this dysfunction at the time I felt that faith was used to help me be a good daughter. Oh yeah. Faith was supposed to help me to help my family, get them out of poverty. Um, you know, get my college degree and earn a good mindset. job. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but 
that's your gift. Your, your gift is words. So you're helping me to understand myself a little better. And so, you know, I just thought that my faith was to overcome. Like every time my mom would yell at me or she's going, you know, quote unquote crazy or hurtful, slinging hurtful mm-hmm. words at me. I felt like I just want to be Jesus. Meaning I just want to love my mother, um, you know, be, be content. Like all those scriptures that are part of our Christian culture, like be content. Uh, don't be angry, love others, you know, love your enemies, pray for your enemies. So all those things, because I was still trapped, right. As a child, you don't, you can't just leave. So when I was trapped in that family, those are the verses God enabled me to overcome those hard times, forgive your mother, love her, be gracious to her, treat her the way you want to be treated. So I did all that. It wasn't until later when I was a grown up, like that, you know, that fateful moment I shared with you when suddenly God woke me up. He's like, okay, Bonnie, it's time to use your faith in a different way. Now, Mm, this is not healthy. You're, you're no longer a child. You need to get out from under that. I don't want you to live that way anymore. So that's very jarring, um, to go from, okay, be content, forgive your mother, be gracious to like, you need to get out. You need to speak the truth. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to tell these secrets to other people. Like, oh my gosh, that is like 180. So difficult. But, um, you know, God is, is a very powerful, radical God. He's when he calls us to step out, he's going to allow us to see some hard things about ourselves or about our lives or some relationship, or maybe a job we shouldn't be in or whatever it is. And we're going to, we're going to have to trust him. Okay. God, really? You want me to do this? Okay. Well, Hey, if you want me to do this, then you got to help me and I'm willing to go there. So that that's how, you know, my faith was being used in a different way. And so it became my life mission. Hey, it's all about soul care. It's all about prioritizing your well-being. And this is a message very countercultural in our church culture because we feel selfish. This is the number one thing, men and women. I've led soul care retreats for the U.S. military, for the 101st Airborne Division, the toughest, most machoist of men and women. And that's the number one. Everybody says the same thing. I feel guilty. For taking care of themselves? Yes, because it will cause other people in their lives to maybe be unhappy mm-hmm. or if they're caregiving, you know, that means there's going to be time taken away. There's expectations. And this is for leaders. This is the thing that most people don't understand PTSD mm-hmm. with this post-traumatic stress disorder, which I later found out I didn't have panic attacks until I became a mom until I was safe in a loving mm-hmm. relationship. All these things we're talking about. Apparently it did cost me something. I didn't know it at the time because growing up, I, I was cool as a cucumber. You know, I had no anxiety, no depression, no anxiety. Mm -hmm. But once I became a mom, I started having these anxiety, depression, panic attacks. And it turns out that I had PTSD. Yeah. And I didn't understand it. I said, Hey, I'm not a soldier. Yeah. Um, But my therapist said, and it changed my life. He said, Bonnie, did you know that verbal abuse and emotional abuse has the same impact as physical abuse, physical abuse? You see the bruises on your skin and your bones, but the bruises are on your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did not know that Amber, I had no idea that emotional abuse and verbal abuse has the same impact on your body. And so I said, well, wait a minute, but I'm in a loving relationship and I know God, you know, meatless was defending myself, Amber, because I didn't want him. He's a Christian counselor to think that there's something wrong with my faith. He's like, no, no, no. It's the opposite. It's because your faith has been strong. You've overcome hard things. You've done good girl. He said, Now your body, the way God created our nervous system, just like a soldier, he's very strong on the battlefield. 
he has no anxiety and panic attacks he's helping others he's being very resourceful it's when he comes off the battlefield Mm -hmm. yeah when he's home that's when his body can experience what he could not at the the trauma so exactly the trauma and so it was during that time that i realized oh okay there is a cost every time we do not you know speak out we don't express how we feel and um it's the encouragers it's the leaders it's the people who take care of others that are often most impacted yeah so here's my question for you with soul care and the selfishness aspect do you think that we can also go to the other extreme and place our identity in soul care and in constantly making sure that everything is like in line and that we're, I don't want to say fully rested. That's not what I mean. Um, I'm just curious your thoughts on if we can get wrapped up in our identity in that aspect as well. I personally don't because, um, you know, God says, love the Lord, your God, for all your heart, mind, and soul. Mm-hmm. So in our Christian culture, we swing really hard to the mind. We uh, study the scriptures. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, practice saying the truth to each other, which is important and necessary. That's right. Uh, we are also focused on our heart, which is in scriptures, the devotion. It's a seat of making decisions. We're really devoted to taking care and fulfilling our responsibilities and mm-hmm. loving others and serving others. We serve others with our hearts. Okay. But we ignore the soul. Mm -hmm. We ignore how we're really doing, how we're feeling. So I don't think we can ever swing completely over to that side. Mm. If we have all different aspects, like, okay, I'm still, I'm still serving others. I'm still making sure I know the truth, but you know, statistics tell us that we're swinging to the wrong side right now. One in every three person has depression or anxiety. One in four people during the pandemic, the Gallup poll says that we're lonely. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is a pandemic right now of mental health. So we're at least right now in this season, I'll say, no, we can never swing over too much. In fact, we need to go there. And this is why in this world right now, everybody's confused because we're all very smart in our current generation. We're very self-resilient. We um, are pretty, you know, smart about, knowing, gaining knowledge. And, um, we have so many comforts, especially here in America that we can customize for ourselves, but yet why are we depressed? Why do we have trouble sleeping? Why do we have insomnia? You know, why is it that like, even though I know I shouldn't worry about what somebody says about me, I still feel bad about myself. These are important questions. So as of right now, I would say no soul care is very important. And, um, there's so many lies that we have picked up about our need to perform and do, and there's not enough being said about, we need to prioritize our well-being. Mm, thank you. I pre, I mean, I was just, I wanted to ask that because I do think that, um, as individuals, we can be very selfish in our nature, but I know what you're talking about in the sense of we feel selfish and guilty about taking the steps to care for ourselves. And that is, we need to, Like we need to take care of ourselves for sure, um, of our souls. And so tell me how you put that. Yeah. I like how you put that. That's very good. Thank you. Well, what encouragement do you have for women who are just incredibly lonely in their struggles? 
Well, I mean, as a soul care guide, I would say a few things. One is that we need to take action. Mm-hmm. One, take action, meaning all those things that you're holding on to, um, they are not shameful. So one is to find relief. We need to journal. <laughs> Journaling is one way studies show that just 10 minutes of journaling, just writing how you feel is going to help you release some of those um, stresses and anxiety. UCLA brain imaging study where participants were asked to um, look at photos of people experiencing negative emotions, fear, anger, worry, sadness, and the biometrics for their body showed that they were totally stressed out. Just looking at other people stressing out, their heart rates were going up, blood pressure is going up, pupils are dilated. But second time they said, watch these photos again, except name what you are seeing, name the emotion you're observing. Mm. That's all they need to do. Label it. And guess what? Their heart rate started going back to rest. Their blood pressure went back to normal. So when we name how we're feeling and what we're going through, the part of our brain that's emotional, that our body's connected to all that stress, it moves to the other part of the brain that's analytical. So when you write, you literally are helping yourself feel better. Second, you need to speak. You need to tell somebody the same region in your brain that God created. It goes from holding on to yourself saying, I got this. I don't need to tell anybody. I know what I'm going to do. That's the brain. That's the mind. That's good. Of course, we need to know what we're going to do. But in terms of relieving stress and anxiety and feeling loneliness and brokenhearted, we need to tell somebody you need, we need, we're created that we have to speak in order to release those emotions and help our body feel better. So those are two things that we can do. Third, we can do things that help us experience and feel joy and peace. So many of us feel like we have to hold our breath. If we have some problem going on with our health, our finances or relationship, we feel like I can't, I don't have a mood to like do something fun or happy or peaceful. No, Mm. God is saying you are worthy. You can still have all these areas of messiness and brokenness, and you are still worthy of peace and joy. You can still give yourself permission to do those things. And in fact, uh, the scriptures always tell us a metaphor that we're a tree planted by streams of water. So it's Mm. organic. We need to continually fill our tank in order to give out the scripture in first Corinthians says we comfort those with the comfort we first receive ourselves. The order is receiving comfort first ourselves. That's the order, not the other way around, not not give out to others, serve others, and then fill your tank. No, it's fill your tank, get renewed, and then you'll be a living water, a river of peace. And last, I would say for soul, for just as a sister in Christ, um, one thing I do is I write a letter every night. I like writing. Um, that's how I feel free. You might be painting, you might be singing. Every woman is different. But I write a letter. I say, here is a letter I want to read to you um, that I put in the book. Beloved, you're worthy of peace. You will have to make a very hard decision one day to choose peace over fear. You'll have to keep choosing to believe that you are worthy of that peace and you will have to leave something or someone, even though you've given your all to stay. Peace isn't freedom from conflict. Peace is trusting God enough to make the right choice in the midst of conflict. Choosing peace will mean you need to let go of something or someone you've held on to in order to take the hand of God who promises to lead you beside quiet waters, you will need to count the cost because to continue staying with something or someone who's abusing you emotionally 
toxic or hurting your heart or soul is breaking the heart of God mm. to choose this peace. You will need to be honest with yourself. There will come a time for this honesty. And that time is now. Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie. And I want to make sure that listeners know too, along with the book, you actually have a journal available to them, a free resource on sweetlikejasmine.com. Is that correct? Yes. Sweetlikejasmine.com. And is it a journal with prompted writings or anything like that, or just a journal we can print off? Yes. So in order for me to heal and to kind of create new scripts, because we have old scripts from our family, if it's not on our family, maybe uh, a relationship we've been in previously, or maybe you've been in a situation, a circumstance in the missionary field, in ministry or at work, some script we picked up. We need to rewrite those scripts with God. And so I started um, through the help with a therapist, rewriting some of those scripts with God's word. Okay. Mm. Empowered by God's word. So this journal has 28 of those important prompts that I had asked myself and it resulted in writing this book to rewrite those stories with God's love. You'll hear God's whisper has inspirational quotes matched with powerful truth in scripture. And as you write that journal, you'll be empowered to stand up in your story and know that all parts of your life is beautiful. And the fire you've walked through that's something someone needs to hear some that's the encouragement someone needs right now. And so God's carried you through so much. You want to go back and see the goodness, see the beauty. Mm. I love it, Bonnie, because you have walked through a lot of really hard stuff and much more than what we've talked about here today. And so I do want to encourage people to read sweet, like Jasmine, because I really do believe, uh, number one, you're a beautiful writer. So kudos to you. Um, but also so much of it can relate to someone in different uh, struggles, in different aspects of their life at different seasons. Um, I just really feel like that they will find hope there to tell their story and to push in as an overcomer in Christ. And so thank you so very much. Thank you, Amber. It's been a privilege to be able to be here and share my story with you and our listeners. How do you need to care for your soul this week? Maybe it's returning to daily journaling or beginning to incorporate scripture prayers into your day. Or maybe it's a long, quiet walk in nature, thanking God for his creation. I hope you'll ponder that this week and take action. Before you exit your podcast player, don't forget to follow the show to receive upcoming episodes And if you haven't already, leave a rating and review of the show. It helps others to learn about the podcast, and it serves as an encouragement to me as I continue to create episodes. Thank you, and I hope you have an excellent week. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time!